Did you know that God really only has one law? So many religious factions have different instructions, rules, and regulations. But the only law that really matters is love. God's Only Law with host Bill Cohen shares that one true law. Here's Bill. The love story we finished last week is built on God's law of love. And once we believe He truly loves us, we can begin the wonderful process of dying to self, which God calls sanctification. So what's next? And what exactly is the sanctification process? Sanctification is a transition from selfishness to selflessness. Jesus came to demonstrate God's selfless nature. Living his law of love is the beginning of our fulfilling of the law. For all of the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. This is in Galatians. As we move through the sanctification process, we see less of our selfish nature and more of a Jesus-like selfless nature in everything we think, say, and do. God calls this dying to self. In John, he tells us, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. Dying to self means we love and care for others more than we love and care for ourselves. At first, this seems like a recipe for poverty and pain. However, when we live in a community of believers, it is heaven on earth, each person pouring out their love on every other person. This reminds me of a story I once heard, describing the difference between heaven and hell. A man is taken into a room in hell. He sees a long table filled with the most wonderful-looking food. The many people seated at the table have long boards attached to their arms, which prohibits them from bending their elbows. Those people can pick up food on their boards, however, they are unable to get any of it in their mouths. The man is then taken to a room in heaven. He sees a similar table adorned with the most delicious food and people sitting around it with their arms bound onto boards. The difference is they are not picking up food to eat themselves, but instead they are feeding the other people at the table. Once we understand why the people act the way they do in the two rooms, we will always choose to live in the heavenly room. That is what God is calling us to do. We must have faith, for when we do, we are no longer worried about what will happen to us when we cheerfully give to others, for we believe God will take care of us, as he told us in Philippians. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in, in glory by Jesus Christ. And in Matthew, therefore I say unto you, take no thought of your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? This letting go relieves us of the worry of this life, and the more we focus on the needs of others, the more others focus on our needs. Living in a community of believers is always the better way to live. The saying, the unexamined life is not worth living, is attributed to Socrates. Was Socrates correct? In Proverbs, we hear, ponder the path of thy feet, and let thy ways be established. Turn not to the right nor to the left, remove thy foot from evil. Apparently, God thinks we do need to examine our lives. 
and he wants us to use the free will he gave us to choose good rather than evil. So in Romans he tells us, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Why? What makes this life worth living? If this life is all there is, we might want to get all we can out of it, or as Henry David Thoreau expressed it, I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life, and see if I could learn what it had to teach, and not, when I come to die, discover that I had not lived. I did not wish to live what was not life. Living is so dear, nor did I wish to practice resignation, unless it was quite necessary. I wanted to live deep and suck out the morrow of life. However, if this life is about choosing whether we want to spend eternity with God or live this life only, we might want to do a little pondering. So, what is the purpose of life? If our life ends at our first death, what can be gained by examining it? Thoreau believed life is precious, and he did not want to waste any of it on unnecessary routine actions others would call him to. He was engaged in finding the fulfilling parts and living them, he would get the most out of life. But is this the life we were created to live? Only the one who created us could answer this question. So in Matthew, he tells us, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold on to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. What we do every day reveals our master, and we cannot serve God and anyone or anything else. God asks us to pick in Deuteronomy. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live. This choice leads us to either choose the life we are already living, or changing our direction to align with the perfect life God saw for us before he even began creating, as he tells us in Second Corinthians. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And in Romans, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It appears God's will for our lives leads us to him and the expected end he has seen for us, which he told us about in Jeremiah. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. Once we accept Jesus as our Savior, we begin to transform into the people he wants to live with for all eternity. We can witness this transformation process by seeing more and more of our lives aligned with the fruit of the Spirit, which he tells us about in Galatians. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Are we becoming more loving, peaceful, and gentle? In Ephesians he says, And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Of course, God knows not only what we do, but our thoughts and minds, as he tells us in Hebrew. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of sunder of the soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And he knows our thoughts lead us to our actions, both good and evil. We cannot pretend and fool God. Here is how we begin our journey that God has laid before us in Revelations. 
Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and sup with him and he with me. And in Isaiah, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. God is not demanding our obedience. God is calling us to sup on his word and to reason with him. He wants us to know that there's a better way to live, and those mistakes we have made in the past can be left behind as we seek to become the person he created us capable of becoming. To this end, he has supplied us with a textbook for life, the Bible. And in Second Timothy, he tells us, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. One of those lessons Jesus teaches us in the Bible is that it is hypocritical to look at the flaws in others instead of examining our own shortcomings. So in Matthew, he tells us, And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye? But considerest not the beam that is in thy own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, the beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote in your brother's eye. He asks us to allow others to use their free will to examine their own lives without our constant criticism, without our creating laws that limit their freedom, without judging. If we do not allow others the use of their God-given free will, we become the hypocrites who refuse to examine our own lives, choosing instead to limit the freedom of others. It is a choice, and God clearly calls us toward examining our own lives. In Acts we hear, But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than to God, judge ye. God tells each of us we must judge for ourselves, and ultimately, if we are honest, we will learn to judge correctly. So he tells us in John, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make ye free. He wants us to think for ourselves. He wants us to challenge everything, including what he tells us in the Bible. So in 1 Thessalonians, he tells us, Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. And in John, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are from God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. God is not worried. He knows we will find the truth if we are honestly searching for it. So in Isaiah, he tells us, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Winston Churchill once said, If you have ten thousand regulations, you destroy all respect for the law. This is why God has only one law. Horace Greeley tells of the power within the Bible. It is impossible to enslave mentally or socially a Bible-reading people. The principles of the Bible are the groundwork for human freedom. And in John we learn, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. God has allowed us to make mistakes along the path to him, and given us an eternally bright future. Nothing on this earth can take that away if we do not choose to give it away. Paul wrote from prison and John from imprisonment on Patmos, and yet both found God's peace. 
They were able to do this because they believed God had planned an eternal life of joy and peace. At the very moment all of our ideas become fixed, one of two things has happened. We have stopped growing, or we have become perfect. Our transformation to perfection will not end with our own efforts, so we need to keep reasoning with the truth, so we can continue to transform, thus allowing our ideas to continually improve. Being open to discussing and honestly evaluating different ideas is part of our transformation, and God tells us that the Bible is the best place to test those new ideas before we make our final decision. In Ecclesiastics, he says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Our free will is a demonstration of God's love. He will bless those who follow the perfect law of liberty, as He told us in James. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, be he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Dear Heavenly Father, teach us to live the freedom you purchased for us on the cross, and teach us to be lively stones, as you told us in First Peter. Ye also, as lively stones, are built upon a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God and Jesus Christ. Next week, we'll begin discussing what we see in this world and what we can do about it. God wants us to test every part of the story, for He is not looking for lukewarm followers, only truth-seekers who are looking for His perfect love. Comments, opposing opinions, and suggestions for future topics are all welcome. Just send me an email, bill at reasoningwithgod.com. May the blessings of God overwhelm your week.